You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, I'm Arielle Dimros, and this is Reset, a technology podcast that goes beyond phones and apps to look at the larger impacts that tech has on our world. Three times a week, we'll bring you stories that look at how technology, science, and power mix together to render our reality. And that'll mean being open-minded, critical, and letting ourselves get a little weird. And we're starting all of that right now. Welcome to the very first episode of Reset. Today, we're looking at the ethics of biohackers. And I don't mean the dudes in Silicon Valley who drink nothing but Soylent. I mean the people who conduct real experiments at home, outside of the confines of conventional science, and without regulatory oversight. Because right now, the technology exists for anyone to tinker with biology, including their own, in all kinds of ways. And, as so often happens, those advances have come way before we've had a chance to discuss the right way to use them. On this episode, we'll hear about a new effort to come up with a code of conduct for biohackers. And we're going to look at the alternative, a law that targets biohacking companies in California. But first... I want to tell you a story. In 2016, I was a science reporter at The Verge. That year, I published a feature about a guy named Josiah Zayner. Okay, so this is the chrome cord. Um, I'm just going to show you a little bit of what's going on here. He'd been on my radar for years because of an instrument he'd created, which is played by translating the movements of light-sensitive proteins into sound. See, Josiah is a PhD in biophysics and a biohacker. So I called him and asked what he was working on. Turns out it was pretty interesting, and I went to see him in California. The rest gets a bit weird. I spent three days watching him perform what he called a full-body microbiome transplant with the aim of fixing his gut issues. He was frustrated with the medical care he'd received, and he was taking matters into his own hands. To do that, he set about killing the collection of microbes that live on and inside his body and replacing them with microbes he'd collected from a friend. The first step was getting that friend to give up his microbes via skin swabs and poop. Then Josiah killed his bacteria with antibiotics. With that out of the way, he repeatedly lathered himself in the saline solution full of his friend's microbes. He also regularly took pills he'd packed with his friend's feces. The entire experiment was extremely dangerous. Seriously, don't try this at home. 
Also, given how Josiah went about doing the transplant, the fact that it was just him and there was no control to speak of, I never could figure out if it worked. As for Josiah, his experience with the microbiome transplant did nothing to dissuade him from self-experimentation. Today, he's still a big part of the biohacker community, which is small but growing. He's even viewed as a leader by some. But the outside world probably knows him best as the guy who tried to edit his genome in 2017. On stage, at a conference, Josiah used the gene-editing tool CRISPR to modify his DNA. He whipped out a syringe and injected it straight into his arm, and live-streamed the whole thing on Facebook. What we got here is some uh, DNA. Theoretically, the gene therapy was supposed to make his muscles bigger. All right, there we go. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why people don't try it. I'll, I'll let you know how it works out. He got a lot of flack for it from biohackers, academics, and the public. The stunt also got him attention from lawmakers. The Medical Board of California investigated him for practicing medicine without a license. State legislators went one step further. Josiah runs a company called The Odin that sells DIY CRISPR kits. The kits are popular among science enthusiasts because they let you do things like modify bacterial DNA at home. This summer, a California senator passed a bill that will require labels on DIY CRISPR kits that say they shouldn't be used for self-administration. And a press release about the law linked to a story about Josiah. Josiah and I haven't really talked since the microbiome transplant. But whenever biohacking comes up in the news, I think of him. Josiah can be cocky and he's reckless. But during those three days in 2016, I connected with the part of him that's driven by a desire to help people. The part of him that allows you to trace his anti-establishment attitude to his sense of justice. So after reading about everything that happened over the last few years, the law in California, the CRISPR stunt, I finally decided to talk to him again. There always is a lot of hype around CRISPR, but at the time, especially 2017, was probably like peak hype. Of, of CRISPR. Everybody was talking about how it was going to cure all these diseases and help all these people. And I kept getting emails from all these people like, can I use CRISPR to cure me? Can I use CRISPR to cure me? And I was just like, well, you know, if this gene therapy stuff is so powerful and it's so great, like all the scientists, all the companies, all the journalists are saying, why isn't anybody using it? You know, people are like, oh, it's expensive. It's expensive. Oh, it's like difficult to give people. And I was like, no, those aren't true. Those things are not true at all. And so I was just like, well, what happens for like a thought experiment if I try to come up with like a plan, if like I wanted to do a CRISPR gene therapy on myself, like what would be the process? So uh, I decided to, at this conference, to run a class, you know, on how to genetically modify yourself. So what exactly did you do? You you injected yourself with this... Um, gene therapy in front of a number of people and, and you filmed it, right? Yeah, yeah, no. So I was live streaming, you know, this thing I was doing and like I was thinking about injecting myself, but uh, I was just like, eh, it doesn't feel right. Like the audience was mystified by what was going on. Right. So I just kind of finished up my little speech and everything and uh, was going to go on with my life. But then somebody in the audience was like, well, if it's, so safe and easy. Why don't you do it? <laughs> I I had the the DNA that I purified and you know the syringe on me and uh, injected it into my muscle, which is standard do a gene therapy. And you know I did it work. 
No, um, not that I could tell. So I didn't expect it just to be a a one shot thing that would right. do something different. It was more of like a, you know, a statement. I was trying to be an activist and like push biotechnology forward. So what was the public reaction like? So you get the mean stuff just from people online who are just like, oh, this guy's a fucking idiot. He's stupid. What the fuck? He doesn't know what's going on and all this stupid stuff. And then you get the scientists who are criticizing it and they're like, that's not how gene therapy works. And I'm like, what part of, and I would ask scientists, I'm like, what part of what I did is not how people do gene therapy? And like, none of them could give me a, a straightforward answer. You know, people were just trying to judge it at face value as somebody who was just trying to get attention. And mm-hmm. after that response reaction I got with the CRISPR injection, I realized that like um, the things I do and say can have bigger consequences. Like people are actually paying attention to the things I do and the things I say, and those can cause negative things to happen. And, you know, I have to take that into account a lot more and that sucks, but it's also reality. We saw a lot of people copycatting. What kind of copycatting did you see? People also trying to inject themselves with gene therapies, you know, some of the results, some of the things that happened was pretty negative. We saw people have immune response, you know, like swelling and immune reactions and all this bad stuff and that shouldn't normally happen. And it was just like, holy shit, you know, like something bad can happen. Was that scary for you? Yeah. You know, because like, I don't want people to die and get hurt because uh, they're trying to copy something that I did. Do you think any restrictions should be put on DIY, CRISPR, or biohacking at all? You know, like, obviously, I don't want people to get hurt and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. part of me is like, yeah, we should try to make it so that people are, you know, receiving safe treatment. There is like a huge DIY trans community of people who are trying to get hormones and things outside of the normal medical environment. And like, it's hard, right? Because once you start saying that, like, well, you can only go through the proper channels, that really does, like, oppress certain groups of people. And so, like, the 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 adult in me wants to be like, no, we shouldn't let people inject whatever they want themselves because somebody's going to get hurt. But, like, the compassionate person in me wants to be like, well, you know, we really want to provide everybody with the, the things that they need and deserve in their lives. A few years ago, a scientist named Bill Halford performed an unauthorized herpes vaccine trial on human subjects. There was no oversight on the trial, and some participants got sick. The FDA ended up launching criminal investigation. Because of the way the trial was conducted, it, it definitely fell under the umbrella of biohacking, right? Some, some guy comes up with an experimental unregulated treatment and administers it to people in hotel rooms without going through the proper channels. Do you think the FDA was wrong for looking into that and, and pursuing the, the people responsible? Where's the line? No, totally. I mean, also some people, though, said that they got better from, you know, the stuff he administered. And uh, the thing is, is that you have to understand the FDA, their goal is to make sure the least amount of people get hurt, right? They they have to make sure that drug companies are able to make money because if they're not able to make money, then they can't make drugs, Right. And then they worry about, well, let's make a drug that can reach the most amount of people, right? Does everybody get help through the current regulatory mechanism and scheme? No, not even close. 
But in the case of Bill Halford, some people really did get, you know, very sick. You, you, you think that was okay? People in clinical trials get sick, right? Y- yeah, but there were, there's the way to find out that there were problems. There are a lot more checks and balances when there's just more oversight. If, if what Bill Halford did, if it actually did work and created a cure, would that be good or bad? I think that ultimately it would be really hard to judge because the way that the study was conducted, it was impossible to know if it was actually effective. The, the data that came out of that trial was, it was bad data. Ultimately, nothing from that trial was, was usable. I don't think the only way to create medicine is through FDA-approved clinical trials. I think there are other ways and other opportunities. The FDA is good at what they do, but I think there also needs to be room for other ways. Here's my question is, how much is one human life worth, right? And that's maybe people would say, oh, that's difficult to answer. You know, human lives are, they're priceless. And you say, well, how much is 10 human lives? A hundred, a thousand. How much is every human life on the earth worth? Is it worth one other human life? Would, would we be willing to, you know, risk one human life to save every life on earth? The other reason that you've been in the news quite a bit recently is because of a, a bill in California that's supposed to go into effect in January. So will the bill actually impact your work in, in any way or, or your DIY experiments, the ones that you do you know, for yourself? No, I, I don't think it's going to have a negative impact directly. I think all the impact is going to be indirect. What it does is this bill... It scares people. It scares people in reference to, you know, my company, right? Oh, look at this company that's selling possibly dangerous things. They have to put a warning label on their stuff. It can inspire other states and even the federal government to start being more strict about genetic engineering and DIY genetic engineering stuff that people do. And that's what scares me the most. Would you ever sell a, a CRISPR kit that, that could be used on a, on, a living, you know, on a living human being? Would I sell CRISPR that somebody could inject? Possibly, not in this current regulatory environment. You know, there are countries that don't have regulations against some, some of this stuff. So who knows? So you're not morally opposed? No, not at all. I'm not morally opposed to providing people tools to genetically modify themselves, especially if I think I can do it in a safe and effective manner. So let me ask you this. Is it possible to be a responsible biohacker? And and what does that look like? (sighs) You know, according to the world, I don't want to be a responsible biohacker um, because that just means, you know, working in a highly regulated lab that you know, follows all these protocols and all these things just for the sake of of doing them and um, tries to do science for the sake of publishing papers and getting grants and not for exploration and creativity. I hope other biohackers also don't want to be responsible. I, I think that's the thing that matters most is like, are you hurting somebody else? And sometimes that question is, it's a tough one to answer. But I think as long as you truly, honestly think about it, I I hope that people come to the correct decision. Uh, But that's the only responsibility that I think uh, I, I care about. 
Josiah and I agree on something that is, in my mind, fundamental to science. And that is, science is for everyone, and everyone should have access to it. The issue for me comes in when people run the risk of getting hurt. I'm not willing to accept as much risk as Josiah might be. I find myself asking, what are the boundaries? What are the limits? And where are the safeguards? We're going to talk about all of that after the break. The question of responsibility and boundaries in biohacking isn't new. Still, it's not like there are a bunch of laws in place to address it. After Josiah Zayner's public CRISPR stunt in 2017, the FDA released a notice that said the sale of DIY CRISPR kits for use on humans is illegal. And that was basically it. Until this year. In July, California's governor signed a bill written by state senator Lingling Chang. When a new technology comes along, it generates a lot of excitement. And then there's a rush to do something that society may not be ready for, which generates like a perceived or potentially real danger. After speaking with Josiah, I called her to get a better sense of what the law does. In a nutshell, this law simply requires that all sellers of gene therapy kits, uh, known as uh, do-it-yourself CRISPR kits, must include a notice before, before purchase and a label on the product to notify customers that these kits are not for self-administration. That's that's it. Um, the, the actual CRISPR is not illegal just when you sell it to uh, self-administer. So we are just merely um, putting another layer of uh, warning to, to those who may be purchasing these kits. Remember, the FDA already says it's illegal for a company to market CRISPR kits for human use. So I wanted to know if Senator Chang thought a warning label of this kind would really make a difference. This is what she told me. Absolutely. I think that, um, uh, you know, on cigarette packets, they have warning labels all the time. Right. But, but cigarettes are not illegal. I get the sense that, that your bill is sort of like asking a drug dealer to put a label on cocaine saying that it shouldn't be used on humans. You know, cocaine is already illegal. Like, that's already an illegal activity. Why take this step? We are just merely um, being proactive. So this is... This would be a civil issue, and it could be brought to a civil court. There isn't much teeth on uh, the FDA memo, but at least at the state level. Okay, so it's, it's just a, a sort of an, an extra layer where California would also be able to, to sort of jump in. Absolutely. And it's merely to prevent potential unintended consequences that may generate backlash against the field. I'm, 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 a, I'm a huge proponent of technological innovation. I'm an advocate for the potential of CRISPR in, in basic research and medical and biotech applications, but I think that we do have to take a, a measured approach. Josiah is worried that other politicians might follow in Senator Chang's footsteps and regulate the heck out of biohacking. I don't know about that, but my guess is that the law in California won't be the last. But what if there was another way to set boundaries for biohacking? Alex Perlman is a journalist and bioethicist. 
She's leading an effort to help biohackers establish norms for their own community. I have heard from people all across the biohacking and community biospectrum that working without guidelines as the technology evolves is getting more and more difficult, and they want to talk about how the community feels about their experiments. This weekend, she attended an international biohacker conference in Cambridge called Global Community Biosummit 3.0. This is a group of hundreds of people who come to Cambridge from all over the world, and you've got folks who are like moms in their mid-40s, people who are coming from Latin America, who are research scientists in labs, who experiment in their off time. And then you've also got folks who, you know, do fit the mold of what you think, right? Sort of the radical, anarchist, punk rock of science kind of people who definitely are what you think of when you say biohacker. There's a lot of that, too. Alex led an ethics workshop where biohackers talked about guidelines. I spoke to her before it took place. So one of the goals of my workshop is to help and facilitate a conversation where people from inside community bio talk about their own ethics and define some solid ones that are shared across the group. What Alex is proposing is an informal and voluntary method of self-regulation. She's hoping that the biohackers who'll attend her workshop will come up with norms that they feel comfortable sticking to. By the way, Alex knows Josiah, too. I do know him. Yeah, we uh, go back a few years. I reported on him when he first injected himself in an attempt to edit his own genome using CRISPR. So what's your impression of him? Where does he fall in this whole biohacking landscape? Well, his Twitter profile, I believe, still says the mad pirate king of biohacking. So uh, I think that he and me and a lot of other people do consider him to be a sort of leader in the movement, for sure. Have you talked to him about your workshop and and the norms that you're hoping to establish? He and I have gone back and forth on this, but... (laughs) Uh, He's not a fan of bioethicists or the concept of bioethics, largely. He feels that a lot of times bioethicists, especially coming from academic backgrounds, are trying to infringe on innovation. And I mean, you're one of those bioethicists. Yeah, I think it also comes from a limited viewpoint. And I think that he... um, He feels that way. I feel my way. We've, you know, agreed to disagree on this. And it's always a friendly debate. I mean, I'm really interested in the possibilities of all kinds of biotechnology to disrupt the healthcare sector. I think right now we have a crisis of distributive justice in America when it comes to accessing health technologies, medication, and basic coverage. Uh, And I think that biohacking is trying really hard to disrupt that system. And I am in favor of examining any possibility for looking at new ways to distribute healthcare. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I am certain that some people hearing you say that will go, wait, 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 you're trying to establish norms and you're talking about ethics and you want people to do health-based biohacking. How do you square those two things together? Well, I mean, I would feel very uncomfortable if biohackers started to wade into the pharmaceutical space and deliver health interventions to people without having any ethical norms. 
for one thing. I would I think that that would be bad. Um, I think that, you know, there are a lot of groups of biohackers. Josiah is just one of them. There are a ton of biohackers who are already trying to establish health interventions and create products that are copies of really expensive pharmaceuticals that already exist. And that includes gene therapies like Glybera, which I recently wrote about, mm-hmm. but it also includes things like EpiPens. Right. Um, and it also includes things like abortion pills. So, you know, those kinds of projects are super interesting, but I hope that they will not be used to experiment on actual living human beings without some sort of ethical uh, infrastructure around them. What are your thoughts on, on the bill in California that was written by Senator Chang? I think that it's not really going to have an effect at all. I think that if people want to use kits that are not meant for human use on humans, that they're probably going to do it anyway. And I also think that it's not a strong enough bill to have a significant impact on on the field sort of widely at all. But it's interesting that state legislators are getting involved in biotechnology. What's the worst case scenario if biohackers don't end up adopting any set of of norms? I mean, I guess the worst case scenario is they actively reject them and then something really terrible happens, like someone dies. The Global Community Biosummit took place over the weekend. To find out how the workshop went, I called Alex again on Monday morning. Hi. Hey, Alex. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm so happy that that we get to to chat this early in the morning. It's Monday morning at 8.20 a.m. How do you feel? I am extremely exhausted, but I'm feeling really happy and pleased, and I sort of have this, like, happy, emotional post-bio summit sort of glow. Really? So does that mean that the workshop went well? All of the workshops went incredibly well. It was just incredible. I was blown away by the amount of uh, nuance that this group in these giant discussions was having. It was just absolutely amazing. Did you actually come up with a with group agreements? Do you have a document now? There is a document. <laughs> yes. How many points are included in this document? How many sort of tenants? Okay, let me count. One, two, three, four, five, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So 12 principles that that this workshop um, sort of helped put together. Yep. That have been identified by the community as representative of their ethics. Okay. And do you want to kind of maybe walk me through some of this? What was the what's the first one and, and the last one? Respect was one that was articulated in a number of different ways by many different groups of people. And then the last one is accountability. Um, And so the last one asks, is there an active commitment to consider these questions and how will we be accountable to these ethics? So what exactly does that mean for a a group of people that isn't super keen on things like regulation or having sort of uh, governing bodies overseeing their work? We wanted to make sure that we produce something that could be used in different contexts 
and was not overly specific for that reason, because we wanted to make sure that anyone who felt that they were a part of this community could use this. How many labs or, or how many individuals do you think will end up adopting this, this ethical code of conduct? If we get 25 labs to sign on to this, I will be incredibly excited and pleased. And I would call that a success for like year one. It, it's interesting because, you know, thinking of, of dozens of labs adopting this, I could see that seeming like a lot, and I can also see that seeming like very little. How do you feel a- a- about that? I mean, for this movement right now, that seems like a lot to me. And certainly, like, it should seem like a lot to anyone who has been following this space. And even for people who are outside of it looking in, I think, you know, like we've talked about before with Josiah and others being profiled over and over and over again, I think anyone would be surprised to find that there are over 25 different groups. You know, people would be like, wow, I didn't I didn't realize that there were more than 25 of these groups all over the world. And certainly there are hundreds. So, you know, one step at a time. Do you think that biohackers and, and people who d- work in community bio, do you think biohackers would rather govern themselves than have legislators step in? Is this a better alternative? Yes. I think that the, both the community and the regulators would rather have this group self-govern for now because it still hasn't grown to the point of even having like sort of concrete definitions. And we see that in this document. It's broad, it's vague, it's purposefully designed that way. And I think for now, the community's uh, insistence on self-government is respected by regulators who I think feel like they don't know how the best way would be to even step in or if they would want to, which is something that they have articulated. When you say they in in terms of regulators, who do you mean? The FDA, the FBI, you know, which has had a long-standing relationship with members of this community. They check in. They have, you know, folks that they call on in some of the larger labs around the country. Do you think that other states will follow Senator Chang's lead and, and try and, and regulate biohacking in some ways? Yes, I think that's inevitable. It's an election year. It's a big topic. I think that that might inspire some other legislators to uh, create other kinds of, uh, whether it's bills that regulate biohacking or the opposite, whether people speak out and are like, oh, this is cool. We should let people do this in an open experimentation. Um, I think that there will be more, for sure. This isn't done. (laughs) Not over. All right. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me this morning. It is very early, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Ariel. I'm really excited to be able to talk about these issues. This is Reset, and I'm Arielle Dremross. You can follow me on Twitter, at ADRS, and you can reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to Reset on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you liked the episode, leave a five-star rating and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. See you Thursday. more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. 
Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.